1: Learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash TalkAwayTheDark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Coming up on the Recap... Singer R. Kelly has been sentenced.
2: R&B superstar R. Kelly was sentenced yesterday to 30 years in prison.
1: There are some big winners from the primary elections on Tuesday. WGN now calling the race for Alexi Genulius. And right now we're also looking at the third district race here. And Delia Ramirez, the winner
2: there over Gil
1: Viegas. Jonathan Jackson now taking pictures with his supporters after declaring victory. State Senator Darren Bailey won the Republican nomination for governor and that means he will take on Governor J.B. Pritzker in November. An abortion is at the center of key races. Governor J.B. Pritzker is a staunch supporter of abortion rights and of keeping abortion legal in Illinois. Bailey's campaign manager didn't directly answer the question about abortion in cases of rape or incest, but would only say Bailey would back legislation supporting the expectant mother and saving unborn lives. Our panel today is Heather Sharon Chicago politics reporter for WTTW News, John Byrne, senior political reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and Brandon Pope, who's host of the news magazine show On the Block, co-produced by Block Club Chicago and airing on WCIU Channel 26. They're here to break down those stories and more. Let's take a look at results from Tuesday's primary. We'll start with the one that got the most attention, the governor's race. Heather, what are the highlights?
3: Well, it's going to be Darren Bailey versus J.B. Pritzker in November's general election for the big office, the top job, governor of Illinois. And this is really a contest that J.B. Pritzker chose, and it will be his to either win or lose. And it is a very high stakes bet.
1: Brandon, what are your thoughts on on what went wrong with Aurora Mayor Richard Irvin's Candidacy. Don't give me that look.
0: <laughs> what went wrong? What I went mean,
1: wrong with that campaign? I'm
0: not sure where to start, Sasha. But I think the key thing is like voters couldn't identify who exactly he was, and he couldn't define who he was. He was dodging. Well, we didn't hear from him hardly. That's the thing. He was dodging media. <laughs> he dodges key questions even on key issues that voters, Republican voters, care about, like the Roe versus Wade decision. He was dodging that as well. So when you have a candidate who is running for governor, who doesn't want to answer simple questions, you don't know what to vote for. I think that was his downfall.
3: Yeah.
1: Heather, I want to touch back on something you mentioned a second ago that I think we should clarify. You said Pritzker chose Bailey. Right. What do you mean?
3: Well, so he is a major contributor to the Democratic, Democratic Governors Association. And the DGA, as it's known, ran ads basically saying... Darren Bailey is too conservative for Illinois, and that served to signal to Republican voters, hey, if you're looking for the conservative in this race, Darren Bailey is your guy. And we saw those ads start to run and sort of Bailey sort of start to gain. And it's clear that Governor Pritzker and the team around him thinks that he will be easier to beat in November than somebody like Richard Irvin was. That's a a calculated bet because – Darren Bailey is anti-abortion. He is, uh, has said that the 2020 election was was rigged or false. It was not. So those are all issues that J.B. Pritzker thinks that he benefits from that comparison. So that's why he put millions of dollars into that organization. And that's what happened.
1: Well, speaking of millions of dollars, John, what kind of return did billionaire Ken Griffin get on his Fifty million dollar investment into Richard Irvin. Historically
2: rotten return, right? I mean, like the the per the per vote expenditure was like five hundred dollars or something like that. So, like, it's the it was this massive amount of money, and and then it was his cyanara to Illinois. He 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 dumped this money in. He Uh fell way short, and then he uh, folded up his tent and went to Florida.
1: Anyone surprised to hear that he made that movie? Moved his family to Miami. He plans to. Take his employees and all his money there too.
2: He's had one foot in Florida for years and years, <laughs> and and I think the writing's been on the wall. The timing was, of course, a little bit suspect given the way things were going for for Irvin at the time. But but I, I'm not at all surprised to see him to decamp for uh, for Florida. Yeah,
1: former President Trump made uh, his way to Illinois over the weekend, endorsing State Senator Darren Bailey, as we've mentioned. Bailey might also be taking a cue from Trump because he doesn't intend to follow the long-standing uh, tradition of gubernatorial candidates releasing their tax returns. Is that going to be a problem for him, Brandon?
0: I'm not sure voters care aggressively about tax returns as much as the media does. Uh, so I'm not sure it's going to impact him as much when it comes to that. Yeah. Uh, but it does point to, you know, it's more mystery, right? It's more... Are, are you going to be transparent with people? And We should care about that. That does matter. Well,
3: mm-hmm. let me tell you why I think it will matter. Mm-hmm. So Darren Bailey has presented himself as a farmer, right. but he is not just a farmer. He heads a multi-million dollar agribusiness, and he has gotten subsidies from the federal government for not just for COVID, but regular farm subsidies. And those tax returns would show us sort of what that has meant for his personal financial picture. And I think it is would be difficult for Darren Bailey to run as sort of the salt of the earth, Southern Illinois guy when so much of his business is really enmeshed in um, what is truly a a second welfare state. We say welfare, we think about people living in cities getting aid for food and food stamps. This is another form of federal assistance. And that's what really is at stake here.
1: Well, Donald Trump was also here stumping for conservative Congresswoman Mary Miller, who made national headlines when she riled up the MAGA crowd with this comment. President Trump, on behalf of all the MAGA patriots in America, I want to thank you for the historic
2: victory for life in the Supreme Court yesterday.
1: So, Brandon, her... um... I'm looking at your face right now. Her campaign says that she misspoke. She meant to say it was a victory for right to life. Didn't you hear that? Right to life. Right to life. What do you think?
0: Uh, The crowd clapped nonetheless and she clapped nonetheless didn't Mm -hmm. correct the mistake. Um, So whether she was, you know, truly making a mistake or not, that can be debated. But it almost seems like she was saying the quiet part out loud. Right. Yeah. Because the abortion decision obviously impacts all women. But when you look at the states that are going to be impacted most, southern states, from Jackson, Mississippi to Eldorado, Arkansas, a lot of black women there. And as we know, black women face a lot of disparities in the healthcare system, especially when it comes to uh, infant mortality rates. And so this just feels like a direct attack on them as well. And so uh, it just further exacerbates. This is also a candidate who has been in hot water before for, you know, making comments where she quotes Hitler uh, talking about the yeah. the, the children, uh, the, the youth have the future and things like that. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be tough to give her the benefit of the doubt with comments like that.
1: Yeah, Heather, John, as as Brandon said, whether it was intended or not, it seems that voters weren't too
2: bothered by it. What do you think? She, she walked away with it, right? And she walked away with the primary uh, against, uh, what's his name? Uh, Rodney, Rodney Davis. Rodney Davis, yeah. right? I mean, you know, she clobbered him. So, yeah. Worked. Mm -hmm.
3: It worked. I I mean, I agree with Brandon. I think that, you know, people deserve the benefit of the doubt. We're all on the radio and TV talking and it's easy to sort of get tripped up around your tongue. But I think if you have a history of praising Hitler, um, you, you maybe don't get that that you don't get a a pass.
1: Yeah. Um, Let's turn to some other elections, Heather. Bring us up to speed on the Secretary of State's race.
3: Well, it was Alexi Genulius emerging victorious from a crowded primary, and he overcame um, not having the uh, endorsement of current Secretary of State, Jesse White, um, or Governor J.B. Prisker. He defeated City Clerk Ana Valencia and Alderman David Moore, and that really will set up um, really his attempt to Regain statewide office. He was um, state treasurer um, back in the day, and he wants another go-round at statewide office. And he will have to go through Republican Dan Brady, um, who also emerged victorious from the Republican primary. That was another race where Ken Griffin's in you know choice was defeated, um, making him really just winning nothing on Tuesday. Yeah.
1: And outspoken downstate attorney Tom DeVore won the Republican nomination for attorney general. He's going to face Kwame Raul this fall.
3: Who is Tom DeVore? So Tom DeVore, you probably recognize the name from all of the lawsuits challenging Governor J.B. Pritzker's COVID mandates. He challenged the stay-at-home order. He challenged the vaccine mandate. He challenged really just the whole, the whole gamut of it. And that is really how he rose to prominence in Illinois. Now, this is another race where, money from Democratic groups served to highlight Thomas DeVore's deep conservative beliefs or really far-right conservative beliefs. And that really lifted him in that primary as well. So again, you know, I, I've said it a couple of times, but this, you know, is a, a, a case of be careful what you wish for, perhaps. Mm-hmm. John, let's
1: look at some congressional races. Let's start with uh, Southside Congressman Bobby Rush's seat in the in the first district. Fill us in. What happened there?
2: Seventeen Democrats on the uh, on the ballot for this historic seat, it's historic in the sense it's almost 100 years of African-American representation, yeah. first uh First African-American uh, con- congressional seat in the north was, was, was the first. And Jonathan Jackson, the son of the Reverend Jesse Jackson, came out on top with less than 30 percent of the vote, but he was well ahead of the second place finisher, Alderman Pat Dowell, in that in that crowded race. And so he's the overwhelming uh, favorite in the fall to beat uh, – we were not sure who yet, but uh, – uh Eric Carlson, uh, a veteran who has a sexual assault conviction in his background from nineteen ninety five, mm-hmm. is is ahead on the GOP ballots in that in that
1: race. And, and John, you were at Jonathan Jackson's um celebration, right? What no, was that? a
2: colleague of mine actually went. Will Lee went. I was I, I was see. in the office quarterbacking there, but uh <laughs> But uh the Reverend Jackson was there, and uh, it was at the Dusable museum and uh, uh Jonathan Jackson you know talked about his his parents and how important they've been to him, talked about one of his godparents, uh, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr, mm-hmm. who's sort of underscoring the fact that this is like this is black royalty, this family in Chicago, right? The, the Jackson name goes a long way, carries yeah. a lot of water, and it's, it's a formidable political organization in its own right.
1: Yeah, what do you think, Brandon? Is this a sign, as, as John alluded to, that this Jackson political dynasty, like it's still very powerful?
0: Absolutely. I mean, the Jackson name still holds weight. Many were questioning coming in whether he would be able to take on and really embrace that front runner status, and the results show it, even though he was outspent. Uh, Jonathan Swain, the person who raised the most money in this race, finished, what, 6th, 7th? 3% of the vote. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So that Jackson name carried, no doubt. Well, yeah.
3: it, it's really a restoration of the Jackson political dynasty oh, yeah. because, of course, Jesse Jackson Jr. was a congressman, and he was convicted of misusing campaign finance funds along with his wife, Sandy Jackson, who was a uh, Chicago alder person. So this is really sort of, uh, you know, they are back in power after really being in the wilderness. And many... many... Many people questioning whether that Jackson name would be enough to emerge from such a crowded primary. But when you've got 17 people scrapping, Mm -hmm. anything can happen.
1: Heather, uh, sticking with you, I want to look at another congressional race. That's the newly created largely Latino third district.
3: It's a fascinating story. So this district was created by the Illinois General Assembly to really um, ex- increase and highlight Latino political power in Chicago's congressional district. And it was r- won with two-thirds of the vote by a state rep, Adelia Ramirez. And she clobbered Alderman Gilbert Villegas. And she won going away. She won, du- she won the part of the district that's in DuPage. And she won her home turf of the northwest side of Chicago. Mm. And she faced really intense attacks about her support for the Defund the Police movement. And I think it is going to raise a lot of questions about whether those attacks still have sting and power or whether people, even after the surge of crime that we've all sort of been living through, whether those really resonate or if they we're somehow past that backlash in, in a significant way.
1: Yeah. Um, 80-year-old veteran Congressman Danny Davis Yes. Remain victorious. Yes. John, tell us about that race uh, in the 7th District.
2: Kena Collins, an anti-violence activist. This is her second run against Danny Davis, who's a stalwart West Side. He's three decades uh, representing this district. And the last time uh, Kena Collins got, I think, 14 or 15 percent of the vote. This time it was much, much closer. Yeah. And in the closing days of the campaign, President Joe Biden endorsed Danny Davis, which was a sign that Danny Davis was sweating a little bit here uh, in, in this district. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the a lot of the West Loop areas and and the Loop uh, included in this in this uh, district have gotten a lot younger, a lot more people living in those parts of the district, a lot more progressive people in the district. Who maybe saw Kena Collins's time for a change. Uh, yeah,
1: she put up quite the fight. She
2: didn't. Mm-hmm. She, yeah. she really did, and and it gave a speech. The speech at the end that said. Hey, look, if you can have President Joe Biden come and endorse you, if you can get endorsements like these, mm-hmm. have these people come in and help fix this district. Where's the help? Mm-hmm. You, you you call on this stuff three days, seventy two hours before the primary, call on this two years before the primary, and, and and helped to do some things for the West Side.
1: Yeah. Heather, real quick, give us the, the final results in that Cook County assessor's race.
3: So it will be Fritz Kage, um as the Democratic nominee in the race. He faces a libertarian challenger in the November's general election. Most people say he's the odds-on favorite to win a second term. And he really faced an intense uh, challenge from Carrie Steele, the president of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation Board. And she was really supported by business owners and property owners who really did not like the changes Fritz Kagi made to how property taxes are assessed. And I think his, re-elec- his you know, assumed reelection, along with the changes on tap for the Cook County Board of Review, where two incumbents have lost, uh, are going to mean potentially big changes in how that system all works in Cook County.
1: Before we take a quick pause, John, tell us how voter turnout was
2: on Tuesday. I mean, it was bad, but it was sort of. <laughs> it was sort of. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was, but it was sort of typically bad. I mean, it was what twenty percent right. in the city, but it was an eight-year low, though. Yeah. Like it, it was. was bad, bad. No, it was, but it, but it was in twenty fourteen. It was what seventeen percent. So yeah, this yeah. was this mm-hmm. was it was bad, but it wasn't for a midterm with no, uh, no real, democratic gubernatorial contest to speak of. It it didn't shock me, especially given that rather than March, when people are sort of getting ready for their primary in Illinois, this is one week before the 4th of July, people yeah. are already thinking about uh, the Tommy Bartlett robots up at the Wisconsin <laughs> <Dallas>. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just hard to, it's oh, hard, to do. It's hard to do.
1: There's still much more to get to. The January 6th hearings have continued to capture the nation's attention, John, let's talk about how Illinois Congressman Adam Kinzinger has handled himself. He oversaw last Thursday's hearing, and this week he was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Let's listen to a bit of that.
0: Look, all we want to do is just get to the bottom of this. The American people deserve answers and a democracy to survive and to function. There are people right now dying in Ukraine to defend democracy and it's like we can't be in any more of a hurry to get rid of ours here all you need is people to recognize that your vote counts and who you vote for wins that's how wins or loses that's how a democracy survives and right now half of the country has been convinced that's not the case
1: what are your thoughts john on his remarks there
2: yeah, he hit this when he was uh, chairing the committee, and it's, it seems like that was two months ago, even though it was a week ago, right? He, he chaired it last week and, and uh, was leading the committee through talking about the president trying to get a more compliant head of the DOJ. As he was doing that, he said, look, if we're going to ask American soldiers to die for our flag, we should at least be willing to lose our jobs uh, to stand up for the right thing. And these men at the DOJ were willing to lose their jobs to do the right thing because they threatened to resign rather than go along with what he says the, the president, and they said President Trump was trying to do. Mm. And you heard him hit that on, on the late show too, saying people are dying in Ukraine, we need to protect democracy. And so you know, he's, he himself is an Air Force veteran, and so it's, it's something he constantly comes back to is we have to be willing to stand up for these Uh, these rights and protect them.
1: And Kinzinger is not running for re-election, as we know. Is there any speculation, though, on what's next for him?
2: Uh, He's talked about statewide office. He's talked about a lot of different things, but I don't think he's got anything in the hopper right now. I wouldn't be surprised to see him run for governor sometime Mm -hmm. down the road, though.
1: Heather, let's get right to another issue that, of course, dominated the news over the last several days. That's the uh, Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. Let's look at the role that abortion played in the first Post-row primary.
3: Well, I mean, you saw, uh, you know, at least some candidates who lost sort of blaming that sort of surge of anger for driving people to the polls. And we specifically saw that in the third district race that I mentioned before. Alderman Villegas attributed sort of his loss to sort of a, fu- you know, a fuel of anger coming out for the more progressive Delia Ramirez. Whether that pattern holds, I think, is going to determine the outcome of not only November's elections in Illinois, but yeah. but nationwide.
1: You know, Republican gubernatorial winner Darren Bailey, he wants to end taxpayer funding of abortion. Is that right?
3: Yes. And, you know, today he sort of began to be a little bit sort of like, well, maybe we need an exception for the life of the mother or in rape or incest. So it's That all of those questions are going to have far more um, salience now that this issue is now at sort of on the doorstep of Illinois lawmakers. And we'll see more action on this next month when the General Assembly comes into a special session to consider what I would be imagined would be at least, you know, a half dozen or so bills that would seek to expand access to abortion in Illinois, not just for Illinois residents, but those coming from other states like Missouri. Um, to get that care that they need. Brandon,
1: how do you think that this kind of messaging is going to play for Bailey in November's general election?
0: It'll energize his base, but here in the state of Illinois, that base is not going to probably be enough to overtake Pritzker, who has been a fierce advocate so far. When he talks about abortion, that's like his bread and butter right there. He's, oh, yeah. he, he, that's his bag. When we interviewed him last week on, on The Block, he lit up as soon as we mentioned abortion because he just he, that's an issue that he's been very passionate about and been advocating for for a while, and he does see Illinois and has said Illinois is going to be a safe haven for abortion. Uh, right now we're, we're actually seeing on the TV screen President Biden meeting with governors, I'm sure, uh, Pritzker is a part of that right now. So this response around abortion access, yeah. uh, he's been trying to communicate this message that abortion is more than just a democratic issue. It's more than just a liberal issue. It's an issue for women across party lines. And so I think that message will stick.
1: Yeah, and what have you noticed, John, as far as Pritzker's reaction to the Supreme Court ruling?
2: Well, he's positioning himself uh, as the national leader of governors on this issue. He's not just trying to position Illinois. He's saying, I'm the most pro-choice, Governor in the world right now, you know what I mean, and, yeah. and <laughs> Illinois the world the world, the world, the world of governors, um, and you know, and, and take it, that Sweden, yeah, exactly, exactly, whatever the Duchy of whatever, the, um, and, and, and Illinois place geographically places Pritzker at a at a position to to really be able to have a loud voice on this, just because of if you look at the states around Illinois. Um, Illinois is going to become relied upon an awful lot by, by women in a large swath of the United States as, as the place where they can safely come. And you've seen in some other states that, that Planned Parenthood is backing away from medical abortions because they're afraid that that uh, they'll get sued by legislatures and states around them. So th- this seems like it's probably not over, and, yeah. and Pritzker thinks this is politically is a winning thing for him to, to, to man the ramparts on.
1: I want to turn to something completely different, though, folks. R&B singer R. Kelly. He's been sentenced to 30 years in prison. He's 55 years old now, Brandon.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> is this essentially a life sentence? Uh,
0: essentially, and his legal troubles aren't over either. I was I mean, going to say. He's still got a case uh, pending in Illinois coming up. With So he's never getting out. He's got Minnesota coming up. So this man is is getting... Hit with charges, and th- this has been a decades-long thing that's building, right? Uh, I was I was texting with some um, some victims of R. Kelly uh, last week about this, who they saw this coming down, uh, just to kind of get how they're feeling. Yeah, and uh, they're not relieved, you know, because really they, they 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 want justice, obviously. But when you've been assaulted and and terrorized, and then you have people painting you in these legal proceedings as a groupie or just a fan or just a girlfriend. That's a lot of mental trauma you have to go through as well. So seeing a a guilty verdict there doesn't exactly alleviate them. So it's going to be interesting to see what the further legal proceedings are going to be for R. Kelly. It's been well documented. If you know any woman who's grown up here in the city of Chicago, she probably has a story about an R. Kelly interaction, whether it be at the mall or a school or McDonald's. So.
1: That McDonald's keeps coming up.
0: It keep, the rock and, the rock, and mm-hmm. rock and roll McDonald's in particular. Rock and roll McDonald's.
1: So his defense attorneys, they're saying that they're going to appeal the judge's decision, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, Kelly's going to face more charges in that federal trial in Chicago. It's scheduled to start August 15th. Can you get us up to speed on what to expect in that case? What What are the charges there?
0: The charges there, he, he's talking about a child pornography case connected to 2008 Um, And then enticing minors into illegal sexual activity and also obstruction of justice. So uh, those alone carry very heavy sentences. He could face another 20 to 30 years. Prosecutors recommending more than 25 because they view him as a danger to the public there. So uh, you said he's 55 years old right now. That 30-year sentence, plus adding on these other charges from Illinois that are pending and potentially Minnesota as well, you could say it's life.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, in opening this up to, to the floor here, his roots are in Chicago, mm-hmm. as, as we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. So is this trial going to be more challenging, you think, for prosecutors?
3: So I think it will be different than it was in New York, in Brooklyn, okay. because I think that R. Kelly – is a Chicagoan, so I'm a graduate of Kenwood Academy. R. Kelly is mm-hmm. a graduate of Kenwood Academy. Um, I have my R. Kelly story. Everybody has an R. Kelly story. Wow. Everybody does, and I think that that will give it a different tone because you know part of these charges are involve his first trial, in at which he was acquitted, and sort of how he used that trial to sort of solidify this sort of Teflon sort of I can do whatever I want, and all of these acts, I mean, most of them are occurred after that. Trial, And I think that's a searing indictment of the criminal justice system and that he was actually, you know, accused of and I believe convicted as part of the New York case, uh, you know, sort of grooming a child who was at that, who came to see him at that case and sort Mm -hmm. of that's Mm -hmm. how he made contact with her. So, I, you know, I I get where those women that you talk to, Brandon, are coming from because we're talking about charges from 2008, Right. right? Yeah, it is. The year of our Lord, 2022. It is. You know what this I has mean? has been a long time. And how many, you know... Award shows? Did he perform on? How many, you know, famous people did he work with between now and then? He headlined
2: and, Pitchfork, right? Right, not that long right. ago. Oh, and that's people right. Were, yeah. People were lining up. Yeah, yeah. Lying. But 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 there were also tens of thousands. It right. was the most bizarre. I was there, and it was the most bizarre thing. Well, I've I mean, ever seen look at how life. folks
1: lined up outside the the courthouse. I you covered know? Yeah. that yeah. first one.
2: I covered that first one that he got acquitted on, and it was like it was like the Beatles were arriving oh, yeah. at 26th in California. Every Every single day. It was, in, it it's was like insanity. It's n- like no People. one
1: had in perspective why they were actually yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and John, one of his super fans was arrested just days before the judge's decision. What was that about?
2: Uh, a guy named Christopher Gunn from Brook, a 39-year-old man uh, making threats of serious bodily injury. He was on on Facebook saying, thing on YouTube saying, uh, if Kells goes down, everybody's going down and making references the. 30 shots for his haters and things like that so Whoa. you know he's still got he's got people out there who are gonna ride for him. You know, and yeah. in Chicago in particular, but I his, don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this goes. His music don't even slap like. <laughs> that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you mean you're not
0: stepping in the name of love anymore? <laughs> I mean, I, we, I can go without. Yeah. I've realized over time. <laughs> I know. Yeah.
3: I, I mean, but it's 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 hard to overstate uh, how deeply R. Kelly's music was embedded yeah. in not just Black Chicago, but yeah. like all of Chicago. Like if you went to a club, mm-hmm. like it was on. But Heather, what are we going to do at weddings now? I, I it's a good question. You know. And like you know, I've been. at... You You know, at events where he's come on and people have just stopped. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And like, that's just it's very it's just going to be a very different. And I don't know that Chicago and its institutions has really reckoned with how they you know not only protected him, but you yeah. know enabled him, and that 's I think what that deeper justice the people that you were talking to yeah. um really want and need, and probably i don 't want to speak for them, but probably have very little hope of actually yeah. getting
1: yeah. all right rapid fire here before we go. stories that are on your radar for the coming week. How about you first John
2: um I hear that Zach Levine is going to be a bull <laughs> for the future did that just happen yes. I'm I think I'm excited about that. It's mm-hmm. a lot of money. He doesn't play defense, but, you know, I don't know what they're going to do better than that, so uh, I'm excited.
1: You're excited about that, Brandon? You're a big Bulls fan.
0: <laughs> yes, but according a, to your tweets, in a different way, Kevin Durant is asking for a trade. Accordingly. <laughs> That's
1: interesting. And
0: Chicago has the fourth best odds according to points bet to land him.
2: Ship Zach to New Jersey. Zach to
0: New. Yeah, yeah. Get <laughs> Zach over to Brooklyn. Who knows what kind of package they could deliver?
1: So that. So what's what else is on your radar when, on the block?
0: I'll stick with sports. Big Ten. Did you guys see the big news of the Big Ten here based in Chicago? So crazy to me. Picking up UCLA and USC. Big LA markets as the college football landscape shifts. It's mm-hmm. going to be
2: fun for those basketball teams, the fly eruptors. <laughs> Talk on about a, Tuesday a flight. In January. It is farther to fly oh from New gosh. Jersey to
0: L.A. than it is from New Jersey to Iceland. So true. <coughs> and, and real Crazy. quick, Heather, what's on your radar? I'm
3: going to bring us down and say we're still watching Monkeypox. The city and the state oh, will have more vaccine available. I thought that was over. Not over. Monkeypox is, is unfortunately, I think, just getting started. We're also, I will remind people, Chicago and Cook County are still at a high risk for COVID-19. Yeah. Um, defying sort of expectations. Expectations that we would bump back down to medium. Cases are up, hospitalizations are up. It's you know not something to be taken lightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On that
1: note, yeah. Womp, womp. WTTW's (laughs) Heather Sharone, the Chicago Tribune's John Byrne, and Brandon Pope, who's host of Block Club Chicago's On the Block, airing on WCIU Channel 26. Thanks all. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks. That's it for today's Reset. Stick with this podcast for the week's other top stories. We drop a new episode every weekday afternoon, sometimes on weekends too. Plus, you can now watch the weekly news recap on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. Check it out. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you so much for spending your time with us and have a great weekend.